Welcome to Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davis, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about one of my favorite things in the world, movies. Joining me for the first time this week is fellow film fan, history buff, and the Ron Swanson to my Andy Dwyer, and most importantly, he is my older brother, Chris Davis. How are you doing today, man? Hey, man. I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite movies with you. Yeah, man. This is a, it's an all-timer. Um, so, like I do each week, I have a new guest on. I like to kind of put them on the spot and ask them the simple question. What is your favorite movie and why? So, Chris, what is your favorite movie and briefly tell us why? This might be the toughest question you uh, cover today with me because I don't really have one. I mean, the Patriots up there, you know, I love Air Force One. I like the Dark Knight trilogy uh, just as a whole, Star Wars, Marvel. So, I mean, based off of that, you can kind of tell I'm a, an action movie fan. I guess the movies that I love the most are the ones that kind of brings me back to me, you, and my our dad watching um, movies together growing up, whether it was Rocky or, you know, Star Wars, The Patriot, just action flicks, and, you know, you can throw in a few other type of genres. I, I love movies, though, so. Yeah, Dad really raised us on a, a good foundation of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone movies. Of course. <laughs> that, and then throw in Sweet Home Alabama every now and then, and uh, yeah. his love of uh, chick flicks, Pretty Woman, you know, things like that. Yeah. That is that is an interesting individual. <laughs> very very different taste all over yeah. the map. Just it, it's it yeah different different taste all over the map. It's a, he he has a very very um, I guess you could say diverse palette if you will when it comes to movies. That um, anyway, uh, now that we have that that answer, we kind of know where you stand on movies, and we we have a very similar taste so. Uh, last month, um, we covered some of my favorite DC movies, um, films like The Dark Knight, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, uh, Dawn of Justice, The Ultimate Edition, and Joker. As always, it was a ton of fun to dive deep on uh, all those movies, and I really hope you guys enjoyed them, even though some of the movies that I covered are pretty, um, uh, I guess you could say, divisive. Um, who knows, maybe one month I'll go over another brand of my favorite comic book movies in the near future. Wink, wink. <laughs> this month, however, we'll be focusing on a topic I like to call July 4th movies. We'll be going over films like Independence Day, Captain America, The First Avenger, and of course the most American movie ever made about oil drillers saving the world, Armageddon. This week, though, given that it's July 4th weekend, I figured it would be appropriate to talk about the aforementioned um, Patriot, a movie that some call the American version of Braveheart, and what I have called and considered to be one of the most inadvertently patriotic films ever made. Um, it's a film directed by Roland Emmerich, and it stars Mel Gibson, Heath Ledger, Jason Isaacs, Chris Cooper, and Tom Wilkinson. Uh, if you aren't familiar with The Patriot, the plot synopsis reads like such according to Google. A widowed former with a brave but brutal military past decides to join up when the British arrived in 1776. However, when his son enlists and is later captured by the enemy, the former soldier must abandon his newfound pacifist principles in order to rescue his oldest son 
and forms a regiment of Carolina Patriots whose guerrilla tactics proved pivotal to the U.S. war effort. Now, the plot synopsis really only covers the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the Patriot. You know, jokingly, I said that this at the, at the top that this is one of the more patriotic films ever made, you know, America. But really, the Revolutionary War is only a backdrop to this film that, and its themes of violence only bringing upon more violence and the sins of the past, rearing their ugly heads, Benjamin Martin and his uh, family's present. It's also really about knowing when to act and, most importantly, not act in times of action. It's why I think I continue to go back and watch this film over you know the years after it left a mark on my very impressionable impressionable mind when I first saw it back in the summer of 2000 where I was like six. Uh, so Chris, when was the first time you saw The Patriot and how does it compare to how you feel about it now? Well, I'll never forget the first time I actually saw the trailer. And I can't even remember what movie it was in, but I distinctly remember seeing the trailer for The Patriot and um, you see this guy kind of running through the woods and... The, I was like immediately like drawn in because at this time I was um, still only nine years old. So I was still pretty young and seeing it. And I was uh, already a big lover of history, you know, and, you know, growing up and eventually I get a, I got a history degree. You know, I thought about, um, I, I really liked the revolutionary war and then world war one, world war two. I was always, you know, interesting to kind of study those time periods and then uh, I'll never forget, we all kind of watched it together uh, at the Patriot um, in, in the theater. And so that was great to kind of see. And, and I'll never forget, as soon as I walked out of the theater, I was like, oh, this is my favorite movie. And then moving into the time, just think back to when, where the country was at. Um, if you read the interviews, you know, they're very overtly patriotic. And then, you know, a few years, you know, a year or so later, you have September 11th happened so it was a very patriotic time um, for the country um, and so I kind of think about the context it was made back then versus even now um, you know full disclosure I've watched the Patriots so many times that I actually wore out the DVD I did not know that was possible but I did and so I went and immediately ordered the blu-ray 4k version uh, so I have that currently and have watched that um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's a movie I still love to watch. Even, um, you know, there's certain movies when you rewatch and you'll be kind of pulled towards your phone or you're kind of get sucked into Instagram or, you know, whatever. Um, but this, this movie is one that I can sit through time and again, and I'll watch it probably at least two times a year, uh, if not more. I'll just get in the mood to watch it. So it's just a movie I really enjoy. Yeah, man, it's it's a highly rewatchable film. You know, it's it's... It's one of those movies, like you said, like, I'll, I'll, I'll get over it here in a, in a second, but, you know, before I get too ahead of myself, the first time I saw The Patriot, you know, is exactly when you saw it, too. Uh, is at the movie theater at the old Carmike Theater in Wilson with the entire uh, family. I remember, you know, like you said, seeing the commercials for the movie and thinking to myself, man, that looks super cool because the main guy has a tomahawk, you know. <clears throat> and it's also the guy from Lethal Weapon, which I had seen on like TNT or something like that. It was the edited down version. Uh, I also remember, you know, this came out around the same time The Perfect Storm came out. And 
us as a family went to go to the theater and we were going to either see the Patriot or the perfect storm. And I remember I decided to go see the perfect storm because I had George Clooney. And I of course associated George Clooney with Batman because Batman and Robin. Um, and I remember choosing to see that over this. And, you know, when I, when I look back on it, uh, that was a super disappointing <laughs> choice because, you know, I, while I like that movie still, I, it's not nowhere near as good as this movie, in my opinion. You know, <clears throat> we all went back, of course, to, to see The Patriot, though. And the thing I remember about seeing this movie in the theater is mom, and I think you can attest to this, too, mom going out loud at the end of the movie, that's it, he's gonna die. <laughs> and I just remember at the end of the movie uh, laughing super hard to myself. However, you know, like much like you, I really loved this movie as a kid. You know, this and Gladiator were always the two movies I would watch when I was sick. And it's probably, you know, our dad's favorite movie. So I have fond memories of watching this with him growing up. And I watch it now and it's hard not to be nostalgic about it. This is one of the movies that I feel like, you know, everyone in Wilson, which is the town we grew up in, had, had seen. And I could talk to people about this movie without them going, well, what's that? You know, watching it you know with more mature eyes i'm able to see its deeper themes of violence all only causing more violence and when when to act and when not to act it's it's a very powerful uh message that rings true with me even today it's 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 a it's a it's a good movie it's a very highly rewatchable movie especially considering the runtime is like almost three hours it's a very long movie um, but the Rotten Tomato score, Chris, if you had to guess, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score on this movie would be? Well, I know what it should be a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what do you think if you had to guess, if you had to guess, what do you think it would be? I mean, so let me ask you this. I mean, you're more of a movie uh, critic expert than me. Now, can Rotten Tomatoes, can they update the scores over time or is it locked in? No, they they update it over time. Uh, like people will go back and they'll add reviews. Like if you were to to base the the like the original trilogy of Star Wars films, I think the A New Hope had like a sixty something back in the day, and then Empire Strikes Back was like in the fifties, and same thing with. Return of the Jedi, but now obviously those are updated. They're all like in the nineties, yeah. so it's yeah. And say so like they when this gonna... movie came out, I bet the score would have probably been in the eighties, seventy to eighties. But I bet it's probably more. It's a little more divisive. It's probably fifty fifty, sixty forty type proposition. Just because I could see where people could have some issues with the film over time. Yeah, it, it holds a. Rotten Tomato score of 61% with the consensus being the Patriot can be entertaining to watch, but it relies too much on, on formula and melodrama. Now, I already know the answer to this, but do you think the score holds up? Heck no. <laughs> I, it should be way higher than that. No, in all seriousness, I, I could see the issues, but I think it should be still low 80s. Yeah, like I would, I would probably put it in the low eighties too. Like you said, it, it's not a perfect movie. You know, the historical accuracy—I'm not sure how historical 
accurate it is. I'm not the one with a history major. You would be the uh, the well, one to, to sir, things. I would say it, no, it's not very accurate, and it's the problem. I would say like. You know, viewing it just as the movie by itself, I honestly think it holds up really well. I enjoy the story. Um, you know, if I had to really rank, I would say it'd probably be in the in like 90%. You know, to me, it's up there. I mean, there's a reason it's my favorite film. But I know when I look at it, I look look at it from kind of the love of when I first saw it as a kid. And like, you know, part of the reason I probably became a history major was, you know, I enjoyed these types of movies growing up, like the you know, Bravehearts, Gladiators, things like that. Um, so I think it should probably be higher now. It's you know we can go ahead and get this out of the way right now. The historical accuracy is very uh, in question, uh, especially when, yeah, like especially when you get into the who he was kind of depicting and some of their past. But um, any Hollywood film that's based off a true story, they take liberties with it, you know, all the time. So I mean, I'm not gonna grade a movie down because it's not historically accurate because there's you know hardly any film is historically accurate because they're gonna try to you know put in kind of su some subplot to fit you know the context of the day maybe or um you know you know change something for the sake of the story uh so you know that that's pretty regular that happens all the time yeah they they you know like. I try to judge movies based off the movies themselves, especially when they're movies based on true stories. Like, movie Bohemian Rhapsody, for example. That is not an accurate depiction of the band Queen or the life of Freddie Mercury. But as a movie, it's incredibly entertaining and highly rewatchable. And I try to judge it based off of that versus what I actually know about the band or you know just with that movie and in, in, in an historical context with 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 history and films i try to do the same thing i try to judge it based off the the movie and how well that is handled versus the historical accuracy because i don't think movies should be should be teaching history lessons those are what documentaries are made for those are what you go to school for those that's what you read a history book about. You know, if you want a history lesson, read a book. If you yeah, want to be entertained, exactly. watch a movie. Yeah, and exactly. And that's kind of what I'm going to go off of. But when it comes to movies, or when it comes to the Rotten Tomato score, I would, like you said, I would probably have it in the, the 80s, um, maybe 90s. I just love the, the message of the movie, and I love uh, Mel Gibson in this movie. You know, I've I've gone over <laughs> I accident. It was a little happy accident back in uh, when I started this podcast when I went over faith based movies. Three out of the four that I covered were Mel Gibson movies. <laughs> so <laughs> I've already kind of discussed how much I, I like him as an actor and a director. But he's he's particularly very good in this movie. Um, but. Getting that out of the way, let's move on to some fun facts. So right here I have, at number five, Heath Ledger didn't work for a year because he only got offers for teen heartthrob roles after uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. He was about to quit acting and return to Australia when he was cast in the film. Uh, now, this is really my first... Uh, experienced with Heath Ledger. Like, I didn't ever see uh, 10 Things I Hate About You until much later. But 
this was really my first exposure to him. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, this guy is, he has a presence on screen. Uh, even at that young of an age, I was like, man, he's just a really cool actor. There's just something about him I really like. And obviously he went on to, to great acclaim and unfortunately left us way too early. Yeah, I think he did a great job in this movie. He went, he really went uh, toe-to-toe with Mel Gibson in the acting. Um, I mean, there were several really great performances. There were some that were, I would consider, overacting, you know, in some of the uh, people, you know, some of the laughs and the cackles uh, that I know we'll yeah. talk about later. Uh, <laughs> that could kind of take you out of a scene, but Heath Ledger did a great job. Uh, and, I mean, we all know the, the great actor and the great performances he turned out over the next few years. So, um, you know, he did a good job. So it's kind of interesting thinking back to that time. But, yeah, he, he definitely went kind of toe-to-toe with Mel Gibson. And when you watch the film, you kind of come away with – there's cl- clearly three actors that are, like, you know, doing a really great job in the film. So, yeah, and he's he's certainly one of them. I mean, he's a uh, you know after this movie, he went on to do like a Knight's Tale, Lords of Dogtown, of course, Brokeback Mountain. He got where he got his Oscar, his first Oscar nomination for Best Actor, and then of course The Dark Knight, which to this day is still my favorite performance ever as the Joker. Oh yeah, yeah. He, you know, he he had several great movies, uh, and I feel like, um, you know, he he kind of had a string of hits after this. So. Yeah. So when teaching Mel Gibson and Heath Ledger how to shoot muzzle-loading rifle, technical advisor Mark Baker gave them the advice to aim small, miss small, meaning that if you aim at a man and miss, you miss the man, while if you aim at a button, for instance, and miss. You still hit the man. Gibson liked the bit of advice so much, he incorporated it into the movie just prior to the ambush sequence, also known as the ghost sequence. The ghost attack sequence. Uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty cool line. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah this, this is one that our dad quoted all the time. <laughs> yeah, especially when it came to me shooting basketball. <laughs> Aim small, miss small. Yeah. And uh, as there's a handful of quotable lines in this movie, and I mean, we'll get into this, you know, we talk, I guess, about the scenes, but when you have aim small, miss small, the papa scene, and then oh, yeah. uh, even the opening monologue, uh, you know, but aim small, miss small, that's probably, you know, one that, that definitely sticks with you. And then just that whole sequence is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it's pretty terrific. Um. In addition to uh, Francis Marin, a.k.a. the Swamp Fox, Mel Gibson's character is also based on the real-life uh, South, Carolina, uh, South Carolina militia leader, General Andrew uh, Pickens. Pickens had his estate torched and lost his son before he went back into action and led the militia forces at Cowpens. Uh, is this true or false? That is correct. So the Battle of Calpins, I actually had a professor in college that wrote a, a long book about it. He talked uh, about it in detail when I was in a military history class. Um, it's a very interesting battle. And so, like, obviously, like, he, he kind of referenced the Patriot a little bit. And then he, he obviously referenced some of the qualms historically with the film. But um, in terms of the, the Battle of Calpins' importance and its importance depicted in the film, uh, you know, kind of lines up historically in terms of, you know, how that, you know, just the Southern campaign and how that was kind of a turning point 
uh, for the country in general as we were kind of fighting for our independence. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, and I've always like 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 you're definitely way more knowledgeable in history than I am, but I've always found a history to be really really interesting, and I, I thought that was a pretty cool tidbit because. I always have wondered, is Benjamin Martin actually a real person? Or at least when I was growing up, I always wondered, is Benjamin Martin a real person? And obviously, as you go through school, you realize, mm, not a real person, just based off of different characters kind of thrown in together. Yeah, exactly. So they kind of melded and took, you know, pick and choose some interesting you know, stories uh, between Francis Marion and Andrew Pickens and then... Um, you know, even some tidbits of some other people and kind of melding them all together, uh, together to make an interesting character. Uh, and I mean, he was, you know, a very compelling character uh, once they were able to kind of meld all those people together. Yeah. Aunt Charlotte's house is the same one used in Forrest Gump with slightly different interior, interior paneling. The stone hedge visible in Forrest Gump is camouflaged with the br brushes used in this film. You know... I've always wondered, is this the same house from Forrest Gump? Because it looks sort of like it. And then obviously... It's the reason you're a movie critic and I am not, because as soon as I you said that, I was like, wow, that is an interesting fact. I never noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, I, I, I was like, man, that house looks familiar. It's kind of like the whole, it happened this past summer, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters came out shortly after uh, Avengers Endgame came out and the log cabin that Tony lives at in Avengers Endgame is the same one that um, the main character I'm forgetting the uh, I think it's Kyle Chandler I think is his name the, the, the main actor from uh, Godzilla King King of the Monsters lives it's the same house and I, and I thought that was really interesting and I always love seeing like the same locations in, in movies um used over again it's, it's cool trivia facts oh yeah um and the last one i'll go over here is harrison ford declined the role of benjamin martin feeling the script had boiled the revolutionary war down to one man's revenge melodrama uh he's not wrong but he's also not right at the same time if that makes any sense oh yeah i, don't I think. mean I have more thoughts on kind of the message of the film that I'll share kind of one of the last things that we'll cover. But um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to kind of think about Mel Gibson not being in this film and having Harrison Ford. I don't know. I mean, Harrison Ford, I respect him so much as an actor and he, I mean, he's been in some great films. Like, I don't know. I think it could definitely work. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah, I tried to even look this up uh, and try to see if there's anyone else, and I I didn't really see any other people attached to it. I'm sure there were, um, but yeah. um, Mel Gibson's definitely you know great and perfect fit for this role. But I think Harrison Ford could have been a good character too. That would have been interesting. Yeah, they have that same kind of energy, that same like really intense. Like if I saw him in public, I pr definitely wouldn't approach him. I'd just be like, oh, cool, Mel Gibson or Harrison Ford. I wouldn't approach him. They had that same kind of uh, intensity to him. Yeah. Um, I definitely think Mel Gibson has more of the, like when he goes into the 
the ghost scene. And you know, I don't want to yeah. step on stuff we'll cover later, but you know, his kind of uh attack and, and just butchering people with the hatchet. Um I don't know if Harrison Ford could kind of get to that place and believable and it I think partly is because you 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 mentioned Lethal Weapon earlier. You you've seen uh Mel Gibson play that kind of role before. Uh and yeah. kind of do that kind of manic uh type of behavior he did in Lethal Weapon is similar to some of the things he does here. But then I definitely think Harrison Ford could have done the kind of quiet statesman, um, you know, unassuming guy type of role. I don't know. Could have been interesting though. Yeah. It, there's several like different, like for the role of Gabriel, there's some pretty interesting uh, actors that could have been cho- chosen for that role. I think it came down to Heath Ledger and Ryan Philippe or whatever. The, the guy from Cruel Intentions and, uh, done a couple other things as well. He was in Crash, but they ended up choosing Heath Ledger. Uh, Kevin Spacey was almost Colonel. Uh, uh, Tabington. It's Colonel Tabington. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, Colonel, Colonel Tabington. No, uh, Kevin Spacey was almost him. Uh, but Harrison Ford, like you said, like there is something about Mel Gibson that he's able to pull off those kind of those manic roles like with Martin Riggs and Lethal Weapon or you know in Braveheart William Wallace when he has to do those really intense war scenes or even in Ransom I don't I forget the the character's name but when he has to you know turn it up turn up the volume to 11 in that movie he really does it and that ha- that that carries over in this movie when he has to to get there cuz the majority of this movie he's very reserved Oh yeah, and um, Kevin Spacey as Tavington is one that you know. Um, the actor's name was uh, Isaac. What was his first name? Uh, Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaac. I mean, he did a great job, and like one of the all-time villains. When you think of like someone that you just by the end of the movie, you're like, dude, I hate this guy, and I want to punch him in the face. Yeah, <laughs> and you just hated him. Uh, but Kevin Spacey's someone that could definitely have, uh, it definitely get there too. Kevin Spacey can play kind of an unhinged character that's kind of evil uh, more than it, you know. I mean, we've seen him play that role, and that could have been very interesting, um, you know, as well. So, I mean, that would have definitely been interesting. I think Heath Ledger is dead on, dead on the uh, spot, you know, in terms of um, playing the son, Gabriel. I think he, you know, you know, the perfect casting choice for that. I agree. I agree. Alrighty, before we get to our word section, we're going to take a quick break and let you hear an ad from our sponsor. Alrighty, and thank you to our sponsor. We appreciate that over here at Ben Davis Movie Podcast a lot. But let's move on to the award section. And I have, I think it's like 24, 25 favorite scenes, something like that. Yeah. So we have a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> um, start off with the opening monologue. Uh, the I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me, and the cost is more than I can bear. Uh, that's kind of the th- main theme of the movie, is he is fearing, really, if, you, if you're paying attention to the movie, that his son's are going to inherit 
a lot of his fury and his wrath that he brought onto the world during the French and Indian War. Um, and not wanting them to face those same things and not wanting them to go through the same things that he went through. And that's kind of the, the, the main thing of the movie, you know, it's the main, the main through line. Yeah. What do you think about that? man? I was going to say, yeah, I agree. I think it's throughout the movie, you see him um, and you start to see the differences. And I think towards the end he sees, uh, and I, I don't know, part of me is kind of split. Like part of me thinks that towards the end when he decides to go and really join the, the fight as opposed to being in the fight just for maybe protecting his sons or maybe even for revenge, um, you know, d- does he join that, you know, after seeing that his sons are different or does he see that maybe the, his sons like and his fury was okay and to kind of accept that type of fury. I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on how you look at the film, but I think definitely that's the main through line. And it was, I think it was a great start. It kind of sets this tone for the film for sure. Yeah. It's that knowing when to act and when not to act. And, you know, we see the consequences of, of both in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, the next scene I have here is Thomas and Gabriel being excited about Mel. There's not, there's not really anything important to add. It's just that in context, like we get daily mail, you know, and it's not that exciting, but how they treat getting the mail is, is absolutely hysterical. Yeah. I, I don't know why to, to me, it's just super funny. <laughs> well, and I think you see too, like the two differences. Uh, and I think you see, um, that Thomas is a little bit more like his dad. He's very more, he's much more like excitable. Uh, and I yeah. think that's the reason he acted. And like, when you watch that scene, you kind of get a clue, especially when you rewatch it, um, that Thomas is made more excited. Whereas Gabriel is kind of like hanging back. Um, and, but then he also has the tendencies like his dad, where he eventually kind of runs and, and gets the mail when it's time. Um, so you see that Gabriel is is like his dad in some senses, but then is not. And then you know, ultimately, we know what happens to Gabriel, where he kind of gives in to some of his dad's you know demons, so to speak, where he yeah. acts rashly and out of anger. Uh, but even when you watch that scene later, you can kind of pick up on the difference between the two sons. Because I mean, I think really the movie is about those. Even though Thomas, you know, is not in the movie very long, he he leaves a big impact on the film. Um, and then Gabriel, and then Benjamin Martin. Yeah, he's the whole reason that Benjamin Martin really starts the the war, or not starts the war, but joins up in the war, I should oh, yeah, say. For sure. Uh, the next thing I have listed here is the line, those swimming breaks really cut into the day, don't they? Now, this isn't necessarily a scene, but it's just a funny moment because, again, it's one of those those lines that our father repeated to us all the time when he would give us like a task to do and we would goof off and get it halfway done. And he would look at us and go, mm-hmm, the swimming breaks really cut into the day, don't they? Yeah. Which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, so the, and that that one really kind of goes into four, you know, when talking about the chair, but that whole kind of scene, uh, yeah, it's just a it's a funny line, you know, kind of like we talked about with earlier with the uh, aim small, miss small, where 
it's just a line that like to other families, people are like, how is that like a moment for you? But then just in the context of our family, uh, yeah. it's something that our dad talked about all the time. So it's funny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty funny and relatable. Um, Benjamin Martin failing to make a rocking chair. <laughs> it's just, it's funny the way that he acts out just, he sits in it. He's so happy that he's finally made a rocking chair. And it breaks again because the the uh, what the bottom half of it where they rock is way too thin. Yeah, the the it's runner is, is just too thin, and he's trying to build it and breaks. He's obviously not a carpenter. <laughs> no, he is not, and he just gets mad and starts chunking all the stuff. Then he looks at uh, Susan. It's Susan, right? Yes. Yeah, he looks at her and she just kind of shakes her head and he's just like, oh, yeah. And he just drops drops the, the little piece that he was going to throw. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's cute. It's a really, it's a cute moment in an otherwise very, very serious movie. Uh, next scene I have here is arriving into Charlestown, a.k.a. Charleston, right? It has to be. I mean, it was shot... Yeah, it was shot in Charleston. I know that. Uh, actually, funny story. Uh, when I rode, I went when I went to Charleston last time with Carly, which my wife and guests of the show, and a couple of our friends. We were riding uh, bikes around Charleston, and we happened to stumble upon a tour guide that was doing a tour of downtown charleston he's like and this is where mel gibson's film the patriot was shot obviously to your right there was a bunch of boats and they cgi'd a bunch of boats over there and i was like oh my god that's right so it's it's pretty cool oh i just like this the 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 score for this john williams did the score for this movie and we'll get to him and at the end of this pod but man the score for this movie is awesome yeah, it's just it, well done. yeah. The the music is really uh, sets this the tone for each scene, um, and really kind of puts you you know whether it needs to be kind of a dramatic scene. You know, it, it the, the score. Uh, I, I can't even remember now who did the score, but it, they did a really John Williams. Oh, well, of course. Yes, John Williams, the good, the, the greatest ever. All right, the courtroom scene. And that's the whole reason they go to Charleston. Oh yeah, when the, it's the colonial legislature is meeting. So, uh, and I think it tells you a lot. Um, and it's almost interesting when you view it in the the sense of, you know, you see the the two sides, you know, arguing out should they, you know, declare independence, should they not? Even though it, it probably would have been a way smaller patriot faction, uh, but you know, you can almost hear the internal dialogue. Um, it's almost like the internal dialogue that Mel Gibson's having with himself or Benjamin Martin rather is having with himself with, um, you know, Oh, you're the guy from the, the, you know, French and Indian war and your fury was so, you know, famous. I'm surprised you're not like leading the charge on this. And then, you know, him kind of saying, well, no, you know, I have a family now I have to be different. You know, I can yeah. go run into this conflict and it's going to be among us if we're not careful. Yeah, and we'll fight it. You know, our children will see it with their own eyes and 
you understand where he's coming from as a character. He has a family that he wants to protect, and you know, he his wife is no longer around, and he fears because he sees himself in that same fury, especially in, in his three, you know, three out of the four boys that he has. He sees a lot of the the fury. Is it four boys that he has? think so yeah i mean he has so many kids i mean yeah because he has thomas gabriel uh, gabriel's the oldest and then he has um the five, two, he has five boys yeah i was gonna say then he has the two younger ones that go on uh nathan and samuel i think go with him through the woods and then um then the, the, the youngest boy. yeah the youngest boy that i don't think he i can't remember his name but he you know he's not really mentioned other than he's kind of with um you know, hiding in the fields when all that happens yeah and that's actually logan lerman from fury that youngest kid which is insane to me yeah i saw that and kind of prepping for the 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 podcast and thought that was kind of interesting yeah, but going back to the point, though, like, he sees that same fury within, you know, three out of the five boys that he has, and he does not want them to make the same sins and commit the same, you know, things that he did that he's still battling to this day within himself. And he doesn't want them to have to live with that same thing. And you understand his his point of view. And it's a very well-acted scene. Chris Cooper, of course, is an Oscar-winning actor. Tremendous. Um, which, of course, leads into the scene where Gabriel enlists. And, you know, he's 18 years old. And back then, you know, if you still lived in with your parents, obviously, you know, they don't really care if you're 18 or not. You still have to, you know respect their wishes and all this other stuff well he kind of goes against it because he feels like his father is is hiding behind him you know and he says the line to him you know when i have a family of my own i won't try to hide behind them and he enlists anyway and he again it's going back to that he sees himself and his sons and doesn't want them to repeat that same kind of mistake that he did and yeah. do the same stuff that he did yeah, and I yeah, and then after that, when you have the Gabriel's letter and the time jump, uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, you can I, I I remember the first time I watched it, you don't really realize there's a pretty significant time jump there, um, moving forward like a handful of years uh, that uh, they kind of move forward, and Gabriel's kind of telling the story, and you kind of see the Continental Army, and they have kind of a quick montage where you see uh, George Washington. And you see Thomas is very much, like, wanting to go into the conflict. Yeah, he's very gung-ho about it. Very, very gung-ho about it. And he puts on, obviously, you know, again, leading into the other scene, you know, him putting on his dad's gear and wearing it proudly and, and you know, kind of envisioning himself and his future and, and, and wanting to go to battle because he thinks it's honorable and all this other stuff. And, you know, Benjamin Martin sees him wearing the stuff and, you know, it's like, nah, you're not gonna, you're, I don't want you to go to war. 
And he's like, well, the war could be over in two years. It's already been two years. And he's like, God willing, hopefully it will be. Because war is not pretty. Yeah, and I think it kind of echoes that point that we've already hit on is the idea of, you know, the sins of the father and he knows like how difficult it is. But then the son, you know, Thomas is is thinking, well, his dad made a name for himself and is famous kind of because of everything he did in the war, even though his dad is, you know, ashamed. I mean, and he, he, he tells, you know, Gabriel as much later that he's, you know, ashamed of his conduct and, and the things he had, he had done. Yeah. And of course... I think it's that, you know, this leads us to the next scene, which is the war on the Martin property. And it's at nighttime, but the way that they do it, it seems very horrific. You know what I mean? Like, obviously there's danger involved and because they're fighting on their property and the kids are scared. You can tell he's trying to calm them down. He's like, there's six pounders all around us. And the daughter's like, is there the come in are they close and then he's like no they're far off but i mean it's pretty clear and pretty evident that they're they're very close and it it just shows you it's echoing what he said in the courtroom which is this war will be fought amongst us you know oh yeah and and it's kind of that you can feel the tensions kind of building and then um, they almost diffuse the tension, uh, you know, kind of the next day you see the Patriot and loyalists and, um, British soldiers kind of all there on the porch and kind of spread out throughout the property and they're tending to both sides and it seems pretty peaceful. And then and, I'll kind of let you introduce the next point. Man, the arrival of Colonel Tavington, the most despicable, I hate this villain, man. And like he choose Jason Isaacs choose the scenery in the best way possible because you're supposed to hate this character. Oh, easily, I and mean, he's not someone that you're supposed to like. And again, he's based off of uh, Bannister uh, Tarleton, who was a real life character in the South. Um, but Tavington, they did a great job of. And again, I know you said Kevin Spacey, and he probably could have played this role good, but. Um, Jason Isaac did a great job, like it just making this character someone that you just love to root against. Uh, and then you know they've already kind of cast Martin as you know a likable character. He's trying to you know do right by his family, and um, they have this guy come in, and you know he just comes in, and you know within you know thirty seconds he's like, all right, burn down this dude's house. And then when he's like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, uh, you know, take the horse and livestock. And then um, you have the, the scene where he's like, oh, well, uh, they discover the dispatches that Gabriel was carrying. Uh, and he's trying to figure out who it, whose it was. And he's yelling out. And then Gabriel, you know, makes the critical error. And he's like, yeah, they were mine. And then he's going to hang them. And then, you know. Why didn't he just tell his father, hey, bury these, please? <laughs> like tell me where you bury the, let's let's hide them let's i mean obviously they they have to do it for plot reasons you know to, oh, yeah. to keep the plot moving forward but oh yeah i mean if, like, if you want to get uh into the, the the nitpick of it you know too you could even say well he, he shot all the the soldiers i mean he could have easily been a soldier that was 
already died in the battle or it could have been one of the wounded soldiers. But you know, Gabriel was, you know, they got out of their way. Gabriel's an honorable dude. So he's like, well, I'm going to take credit for it. Uh, and then, you know, next next thing you know, it's exposed that Gabriel is his, his son. And so, you know, then he, um, he ratchets yeah, up. These are, you know, he can't, Benjamin's like, or Benjamin Martin's like, you know, he's, you know, these are by the rules of war. You cannot shoot him. He's like, Oh, we're not going to shoot him. We're going to hang him. Would you also like a lessons, sir? And the rules of war points a gun at him. And then it's like, Oh, well, how about your children instead? Which is like, oh my god! Yeah, this guy just turned it up to eleven like real quick. Yeah, I mean, he he was zero to a hundred like unlikable character. Like within like two minutes, you're like, all right, this dude sucks. Uh, and you know he's you know doing all this, and then next thing you know, Thomas is is you know you you can understand Benjamin Martin. He's trying to process because all this is going on. His son's being threatened to be hung. He knows his house is going to be burned down, but you could tell his main concern, uh, and this is something that's interesting, is not his house and possessions, you know, things like that. It's definitely like his kids. Uh, his family. And, yeah, his family, and he's sitting there kind of looking at them, kind of tearing up, and he's telling Thomas to be quiet. And you could tell the wheels are turning, like, what is he going to do? And Thomas, you know, being young, and I think, you know, kind of an echo of his dad, decides to go in and take action and you know hits one soldier tells gabriel to run and then tavington shoots him. yeah and then of course tavington calls him a stupid boy which then just is the ex there's already been an exclamation point but this is like the fifth one where you're like man this guy's a douche he's like in terms of like being great movie villains He's up there. He's up there. Oh, yeah. And definitely. it's this opening scene that sets really the tone for him. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it sets the tone for he's like a brutal, just brutal guy that is willing to do whatever it takes. And, I mean, it's just an unlikable character in terms of like that. Mm-hmm. But then you, the actor, you know, obviously great acting performance. Uh, and this leads right. to probably, you know, it's very sad you see him and – you know then mel gibson uh is you know benjamin martin is like ready to go he goes and gets his you know his guns out of his house his hatchet uh and leads to one of the best scenes of the movie running through the woods i mean i just remember like as a kid we had like a little wooded area in our backyard and i was like pretending to be the you know the patriots (laughs) running through like jumping off a log here you know things like that so um, great scene, uh, and it le- you know leads to the massacre scene. Oh yeah, man! It's I have it titled the Ghost Massacre because he gets the the nickname moniker after this, the Ghost. Um, he takes, and you know after after uh, Thomas dies, it's like almost all of a sudden, instinctively he, and you can tell by John Williams' score. It's that sad score that all of a sudden it starts to rouse and become something menacing, like almost something like he would play in the in in a Star Wars movie where you go from seeing you know some someone that's on the light side go to the dark side, and it's like uh oh, and he goes inside like you were saying he gets all the stuff, takes his two sons with him. It's like Samuel, Nathan, follow me. Yeah. And of course, like you say, running through the woods, and <clears throat> they they catch up to 
the people that that have uh, Gabriel, and he he tells his sons to aim small, miss small. You know, if anything's to happen to me, drop your guns, hide in the brushes, go get your sisters, and take them to your aunt Charlotte's. Um, you know, after uh, Samuel, he tells him, you know, after you fired your first shot, I want you to reload for your brother Nathan. And it's very like tactical, like you can tell. Oh no, he's this is he's been here. Yeah, <laughs> he's been he's, in these situations. And I, it's he, he, kind of interesting when you watch that scene and you really think about it. It's like the whole time, if you, you know, up until this point, you could tell he's kind of keeping a lid on that anger. And it's like a pressure cooker. And then, you know, like he'll have like outbursts, like where he throws and you could see there's a pile of chairs when he's building that chair and he throws it and it's just a bunch of them broken. And then his daughter kind of looks at him, shakes his head and he kind of, you could tell there's a little bit of shame. Uh, and then, it's like, like you said, when John Williams builds that score uh, and it kind of starts menacing, you can tell in the intensity and, and Mel Gibbs is able to kind of go back to like the, the lethal weapon uh, rigs type of energy where he goes in and you could even tell when he opens up the box, there's a brief moment where he kind of looks at the hatchet and it's like a pause and it's like he's almost like thinking, should I do this? You know, should I? You know, because he's, you know, been, you know, so calm. And then all of a sudden it's like, nah, there's no going back. And then next thing you know, he's, you know, giving the aim small miss ball speech and he's giving them directions in the woods running through. And, you know, next thing you know, he's, you know, bludgeoning that dude with the the hatchet, you know, know, just taking them all out. It's so crazy because it's, it's done so well and shot. I mean, this is definitely Roland Emmerich's best movie. Movie, um, in my opinion. I mean, he's not he's not known to do this type of filmmaking. I mean, he does action set big action set peak, uh, sequences super well, but this one in particular, it's it's more it's not as grand, but it, it's more intimate, which is what makes it more visceral. It's shot very viscerally, and it's done in such a way that the the score ramps it up to like after all the shots you hear the dinna 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 like him just mowing people down with the with the tomahawk and knife combo of course there's that really freaking awesome shot of him throwing the tomahawk and hitting the guy between the eyes with it when he has uh Heath Ledger at, at knife point Really cool. And then, of course, you know, that goes to the him giving into his anger, which is where he, again, throws the the tomahawk, catches the guy, the British soldier in, in the back. And then the most infamous scene in this movie where he just bloodies, like just screaming in pain and in anger. And it's like all of that hatred coming out. You know, just it's a such a freaking awesome scene. Oh yeah, I mean, but it's also it's kind of a depressing scene too. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think if I had to pick like three move moments, you know, the this kind of montage between the Tavington arriving and the the ghost massacre, if it, it might be you know up there in terms of like if I'm about to go leave and like have to, you know, I'm I'm going to say 
you know, to my wife, like Katie, I'm like, Hey, can we watch this for 10 minutes before we leave? <laughs> you know, and like, I'm going to finish this scene, uh, before yeah. I get out. Uh, it's just that type of scene for me. Um, you know, in terms of like, Oh man, this is such a rewatchable, uh, part of it. Um, and then you have the, you know, when he gets done, you could tell he's kind of coming down and you could see the look on his kid's face of just like shock. Mm-hmm. Like, cause this is, yeah. he's had a lid on like this anger that he obviously had in the French and Indian war. And they're kind of like, man, who in the heck is this dude? And, They've never seen that side of him before. Yeah, And you could tell even Gabriel is kind of like shocked and he's been fighting uh, in war. Yeah. And yeah, he's still kind of shocked that his dad went there. Uh, and then the, the younger two are definitely freaked out. Like they're, they're full on freaked out about what just occurred. Yeah, they're going to have to go to child therapy after that. They need um, a few courses of therapy uh, after that. (laughs) Um, But, and he's tucking him to bed and um, I can't remember which son uh, he Yeah. I think it's it's Nathan and Samuel. Um, Yeah. And I think Nathan's the the youngest one, if I remember correctly. Uh, And he kind of, no, Nathan is the uh, the older one. He's okay. the one who goes, you know, I'm glad we killed those men. Yeah. And it's like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's dark. And then Samuel just kind of turns over. And you, so you could see kind of the different reaction. Um, and I think, again, it's another parallel between Gabriel and maybe Thomas where, uh, you know, kind of the different attitudes. Um, and... Gabriel, you know, decides he's going to be leaving again. And you could tell his dad's really angry just because yeah. of, you know, he just lost Thomas and, you know, they've lost, you know, you know pretty much everything. Um, and they're having to live with Aunt Charlotte at the moment. And Gabriel's still wanting to leave to fight for the cause. And I think at this moment, like Benjamin Martin doesn't understand, like, why is he leaving? You know, what's going on? Yeah, it's. I like what you said about the, you know, the the parallels between Nathan and uh, Samuel. Samuel is still horrified about what he just witnessed. His dad just brutally murdering this guy, you know, in 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 the uh, in the forest, and the difference between the temperament of someone like Nathan being like, yeah, I'm glad we killed those men and him being discouraged by that and being hurt, not necessarily discouraged, but hurt when he tries to go talk to to Samuel and Samuel just kind of turns away and it's like, oof, that would hurt. But at the same time, I think he understands and I think it, it it's always made me laugh when Aunt Charlotte goes, you have nothing to be ashamed about. <laughs> and then you think, oh, he just, I mean, I he's he's definitely, I, I get what why he did what he did. But in terms of that whole last part, maybe not. <laughs> with, with the whole stabbing the guy, just brutally murdering him. He was already dead. <laughs> yeah, the the bludgeoning with the hatchet. Uh, maybe ashamed about that, but then again, yeah, maybe get the maybe should be and and stuff. But yeah. you know, in front of the kids. But I mean, at that point, his kids had just you know, shot several soldiers. So um, yeah, they're traumatized. Yeah, for sure. And then I mean, just saw their brother get 
murdered. So there's a lot going on there. Um, yeah, and but, and then of course you know the the famous uh, "Dad, I'm not a child. You're my child" line. You know, yeah, it's a pretty 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 good line. But of course, you know, that leads up to Benjamin Martin deciding, okay, if my son's going to go into to battle, I'm going to do something about it now. I'm ashamed of what I haven't done, you know. And then he joins up with Gabriel. And I've always loved this scene because it's that moment of Gabriel like witnessing the war from outside from outside of the perspective. And I think it's done intentionally because he's outside of that. He's watching it from an outsider's point of view, this war go on and just seeing the American army getting decimated and just picked apart. And he looks at his dad who somehow called up to him and says, you know, I'm not going back. He's like, I didn't expect you did or you would, you know. And uh, I just like the the back and forth between them in that part. Yeah, so that's a good part, and like the idea that you know he's you know very very much hesitant to go back, and he can kind of see they're very very much struggling. Um, and you know this is kind of the la- end of the line historically speaking for Horatio Gates. He's going to get replaced. Uh, by um, Nathaniel Green and Dan Morgan shortly after this battle. Yeah. And, and this is where, you know, Benjamin Martin kind of comes in and um, he meets with Harry Brewer, who's kind of lightly based off a light horse, Harry Lee, who is Robert E. Lee's father. So they kind of base him loosely off of that character. Um, but they bring him in, uh, you know, and he, he was originally in the legislature scene earlier in the movie and it's obvious that him and Benjamin Martin have a, you know, history. They talk about how they fought together in the French and Indian war. Uh, and so immediately Benjamin meets up with, uh, him and, you know, he's going to be given command of a militia and he wants Gabriel to come with him. And that's really, I think Benjamin Martin's goal is he wants Gabriel to be with him so he can protect him and hopefully not lose his son. I don't think he's yeah. fully joining the conflict. I think he he is, but then he's still he's fighting for Gabriel as much as he is for the cause at this point. Yeah, he just wants to protect and make sure that his he doesn't lose his another son. You know, he doesn't want to lose because he's already lost his wife. He lost his uh, you know Thomas. He doesn't want to lose another one, and that's kind of his his motivation for wanting him to be you know, under his lead, even, you know, though, despite Gabriel does not want that. Yeah. Which of course leads to Gabriel enlisting the help from the church. And I just really like this scene just because it's, it's highly patriotic. It's highly motivational. And it's that call to action of, you know, you got to do more than just talk about how much you, you hate this or you disagree with this actually do something about it instead of just sitting and talking about it actually be active because at the end of the day words are words but actions speak louder so you gotta speak you gotta you gotta do and i just like the way that that was handled it's a really well acted scene and of course there's a funny bit at the end of 
from from the uh the minister going um sometimes uh the shepherd must fight off the wolves it's uh, i like that yeah so that's a great line and then um you know he comes in and i, I think like you said it's very patriotic scene and um you know, there's a stark divide between that group and then the the group that Benjamin Martin enlists help from at his pub, and it's kind of the difference between. I feel like the people at the church are enlisting very much so because, like that rousing speech, and there's you could tell there's a current of or an undercurrent of kind of patriot sentiment in the town, but then when it came time to act, they were very much hesitant until. Um, it was it Ann Howard? It was Ann. Yeah. And she was, uh, when she, she kind of came in and called him, was like, listen, you know, you talk about being a patriot all the time, but it, when the chips are down and, and we need somebody, you're just sitting back and, you know, you don't want to do anything or, you know, you're afraid. Uh, and so when she called him on that, um, and she's very much, you know, kind of like Gabriel, kind of the heart and soul of the film, and it kind of gives the film its moral center when you're talking about just the patriotic undertones of the film uh and then you know whereas benjamin martin's going to the pub and you kind of see some good um interaction between him and the colonel or major jean uh and you could kind of see them kind of quipping back and forth and they you know they definitely don't trust each other but uh the men at the pub are very much a rougher type of sort and um you can see yeah, when they interact with the with the people from the church. There's definitely two groups of individuals. There's kind of the clean up, you know, group of people that are very much uh, prim and proper, and then the group that's done this type of fighting before. Yeah, they live for this kind of fighting, <laughs> and it's that I always love. He's like, "Are you sure these are the right people?" And he's like, "Yeah, hold on." God save King George. Like everything just stops and they just, you know, do the whole throwing knives and food at him. It's like, yeah, we came to the right place. It's, um, it's just, it's, uh, I like that cause it's funny. And again, it, it shows the, the contrast between Gabriel being a lot like his dad, but also being a little bit, you know, wanting to get people that, necessarily reflect the country that he wants versus the people that are inherently in the country i guess you could say yeah um that do that type of fighting um I, I like it uh, and of course this goes to the training montage which i've always it's not necessarily a training montage but it starts off as you know training them as militia to be uh good marksmen and the like but then you get them you know kind of the the them starting to act as militia and take them out in, you know, the only way that they really can, because they can't face the British army one-on-one because every time they do, they get wiped out because the British army is just so much larger and so much, I mean, at this point in juncture, better. They're more equipped. They're smarter. So you got to fight them, you know, down and dirty style. And I just really like the, the, the montage. And I've always liked the way that the, uh, what's the, the character's name? The guy who he's, he's the French guy. Major Jean. Yeah. He, with the way that he says, fight. 
my my accent probably butchers that. So anyone that's taken French uh, or is more uh, does not have this thick Southern drawl probably you know stab me for how I pronounce that. But what's going to be funny is people listening to this and trying to decipher who's talking. Yeah. But Major John does a great job, and I I love the way they depicted the guerrilla warfare. And um, when I always taught American history most of the time uh, when I was a a teacher, um, and that was one thing that I would kind of refer to as this kind of scene. And whenever I would describe like guerrilla warfare as an example, and a lot of the kids in the class would have seen the movie, Uh, and so I think it really does kind of get the point across. and then that kind of leads into the, you could see kind of the, the divide between the two groups when you get to the surrender scene. Uh, and, yeah. you know, the Major Jean is very much with the, you know, group that Benjamin Martin recruited, where it's like, oh, well, you know, they kind of get what they deserve uh, versus, you know, the, you know, Gabriel's group is like very much horrified, like, oh my God, like, what, what do you mean? These group were about to surrender. We can't just kill unarmed surrendering men. Um, and that's murder. Yeah. And, and that's just cold blooded murder. Yeah. And so you see kind of the difference in the treatment of the, what they kind of want to do about the prisoners. Yeah. And also, this is the first time Mel Gibson really, or Benjamin Martin, pulls rank. You know, when he goes, you know, this army's different. You can come and go as you please. But if you decide to stay with this, you will obey my command or I will have you shot. And he looks directly at the, at, uh, uh, Jean when he says that. Yeah. And I, I think this is when, um, you know, Jean talks about how his daughters were burned alive by the British. And then I think, that's a turning point in their relationship in the film because, you know, I think Martin understands more than the anger. Uh, And I think Martin, you know, he was one of the ones out there, you know, executing the ones that were, you know, trying to surrender uh, just along with John. But then Gabriel is kind of the better, uh, you know, the angel kind of on Martin's shoulder kind of saying, well, be better, you know, do better. This is, this is about more than you. It's about a cause. Um, and that's where it's, you know, kind of interesting where Gibson, I don't think he understands that quite yet. And, and or at least his character, Martin doesn't understand that. Um, and then um, right shortly after that, this isn't a scene that you mentioned in your list, but um, another kind of, you know, when they, the, the one guy from the church that's very much a racist and they kind of hit on that throughout the film uh, and his disdain uh, for one of the black militiamen. Uh, and he talks, and Major Jean hands him a rifle um, and tells him, well, the, your sense of freedom is as pale as uh, your skin. And, you know, talking about like how, you know, the cause is for everyone. And Gabriel kind of gets into how the cause is, um, you know, that all men are created equal under God and that, you know, that's the country we're building. Um, and, you know, that that's what they're fighting for. Uh, and you know, to me, you kind of see where Gabriel, you know, he's very much again, like the, the ethical center of the film and he's building this case for what the, the revolution was about. And, you know, 
trying to strive to be a better country. And, you know, you know, we haven't always obviously lived up to that. You know, anyone that's looked at American history understands that, but that's really what the country is about is trying, uh, you know, and each generation gets something wrong and, and trying to rectify that. And, um, you know, always striving to be a better, more free uh, country that treats everyone equally. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we're still making those strides and still, you know, fighting some of those same battles today and it you know it's that promise of continuing to fight for those things and continuing to try to be better and doing better and standing up for for what's right and being the best you can be and you know i i, I completely forgot about that scene to be honest with you in the, in those lines of trying to to put that on here you know there's just so many, but I uh, definitely should have included that one because that that one's a that's a great scene or a great parallel that continues throughout the film. As I said before, we course, started recording. I mean, we could talk about this movie for ten hours. Oh, we could <laughs> easily. <laughs> yeah, we 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 definitely could. <laughs> uh, and of course. One of our favorite scenes is the release of the prisoner. So half of the militia gets caught. Um, by Taddington and his army, and they devise a, a plan to go get back their soldiers. And it's in this scene you see a little bit of the cheekiness from the no pun intended from Mel Gibson's character, uh, Benjamin Martin, in, in the way that he kind of outsmarts and outwits. Uh, what's his, it's John Wilkinson's uh, character. What's his name? Uh, um, he he's he's actually uh, is Corn Ward Cornwallis, and that's the actual yeah, general in the South's name. Yeah, yeah, he's outsmarting and outwitting him in this scene because obviously he doesn't have any of the commanders. He's killed them all. But the way that he does it, and it's just really funny, which, of course, the best part of this scene is the cheeky fellow line. And also the scene where this is where Tavington realizes who Benjamin Martin is. He's the ghost. And he tries to confront him. And, you know, he's like, hey, he can't be touched. You know, he hasn't he hasn't caused any scenes here. We got to, you know, be respectful towards him and what he, you know, and, and how he's treated us. He's given us back our um, our higher ranking uh, officers, you know, not really, but he's given us back. So we got to be respectful. And he came in with a white flag, but he tries to get him. You know, he tries to, to get him with the, you know, it's you. You know, you're the man with the, that on that farm with that stupid little boy. And it almost gets him. It almost gets him. And you know, he's like, you know, before the, this war is over, I'm going to kill you. And he says, why wait? And I found out today as I was researching the movie, the line soon was improv 
Yeah, and he and just that's, walks. That's such a great like kind of moment too, and uh, the fact that his improv is even more great. Like soon, like, and he's able to kind of keep a lid on it. You can see Tavington's very frustrated because he was hoping uh, to kind of stoke up the anger. Um, yeah, and then get them to make a mistake so they can go ahead and take him out. Yeah, and then you see Tavington kind of uh, tr- uh, Cornwallis allows Tavington to take the gloves off after this, and he starts raiding. Ben Martin's, uh, he, he, you know, he tries to find out more about him. You know, they go and they burn down Aunt Charlotte's home. Um, and that's very much a, 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 a kind of tension-filled scene. Um, oh, yeah, the, the the dining room table scene or whatever. I used to pretend it when I was playing hide and go, when, you know, when we were kids, when we used to play hide and go seek, I always used to pretend, like, that was my move. I would hide underneath the dining room table, and at the time we had like a cloth on it. I would kind of roll out to the side <laughs> when someone was going around. I kind of picked up that move from this movie um, when when Nathan is being uh, stalked by Tavington. Oh yeah, and, uh, and you know the narrow escape, and then turns out that Tavington had a list of pretty much everyone. And Martin's command their houses, and you know several of them yeah. got attacked and murdered. And yeah, we lose one of them. We see like on screen when you know his children, or his child has been murdered, and it's kind of a it's it's a tough scene. Yeah, John you know, Billings. Yeah, the suicide yeah. scene is very dark. Um, and uh, you know this leads to the scene where they're like, "All right, well, we're gonna do two weeks away, or was it two or one week?" I think it was one, one week. week furlough for all men, if I remember yeah. correctly. And if you don't return, you won't be deemed uh, a coward or um, anything like that. And this leads, of course, to the Gabriel getting married scene, which is kind of a, a happier moment in what's been kind of getting towards a more darker, more somber tone in the, in, in the film. And it's Gabriel finally telling his father, you know, like, you once told me when I have my family that I would understand. And now that I do, I, I do, you know, I understand. And that's kind of his way of saying, Hey, I'm going to marry this girl. Um, that really helped me with, you know, rousing up the church and getting them involved. And it's just, it's a very sweet scene and it's, it's, it's nice. But of course, this the this all is leading up to the papa scene. Oh yeah. All right. And and to set to, to set the groundwork for this, you know what what's the, the daughter's name again? Susan. Yes, Susan. She was not talking before her dad left, and her dad hasn't really heard her, you know, speak. And after the attack on Aunt Charlotte's house she tells Gabriel, I hate him and I hope he never comes back. You know, she's a, a, a little girl. She doesn't, or not even that she's a little girl, she's a child. She doesn't understand, you know, why that her, her father gone, her father is gone. She just wants him home, you know, and is acting resentful because of it. And you understand, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't understand why she was acting like that. But as an, an adult now, you, you get it. And... <clears throat> You know, when he sees her again, she doesn't speak to him. And then when he leaves, she doesn't say anything. But then you start to see that her 
tears boil over and she, you know, just goes, Papa, and runs toward him. And she's like, I'll say anything. I'll do anything. Please don't go. And oh my, every time I see it, I cry, man. I cannot help it. It's such a sweet and emotional scene of her just wanting her her father to stay and him saying it's just so wonderfully acted by that little actress and and mel gibson and him saying you know you know you make me very happy it's just oh god man it's just so touching oh yeah not to mention that's her dad's favorite scene (laughs) easily his favorite scene and I i don't really have anything to add other than you know like you know it's the ability you can tell that I think Gabe, I think he loved all his kids, but you can definitely tell Susan was a, had a special place. And I think Gabriel did too. Um, where I, but I think Susan was definitely the favorite. And, you know, obviously she's the youngest girl, uh, and yeah. the youngest kid period. Um, and she definitely was struggling with some issues with speech and stuff. So, you know, when Charlotte's house burns down and he comes back and Gabriel is, you know, involved in rescuing them. Whereas, uh, Martin, Benjamin Martin led him away. Um, and you know, when he comes back, Gabriel shares like, Oh, Susan can talk now. And, but then he kind of tell you know, he tells a lie when he's like, Oh, what did, yeah. what did, what did she say? Oh, she misses you. And I uh, can't wait. To see you. Yeah. And you know, where she's like, I hate him, you know? And, and so it's kind of interesting. And then, she understands why you're gone. He's like, oh, she did, did she? Yeah. And then, you know, this is such a touching scene, and it leads to, like, such a heart-wrenching scene with the burning of the church, and um, Anne Howard oh, and her man. two parents return, and the how you know, they're, the British are there, and rather than kind of turning and running, or, you know, they kind of go, and they're going to act like everything's normal, and then the narc in the church, you know, he, he kind of goes in, and, uh, you know, tells on yeah, call, you know, Howard is uh you know, giving aid to Benjamin Martin and his men. They hide at the old Spanish mansion and uh thinking that Tavington's gonna spare them now, but Tavington, you know, locks everyone in the church and um Colonel Wilkinson, if I remember his name right, and he's kinda, you know, play on the Benedict Arnold line, you know, uh, you know, a neighbor to Martin and all those men, they he tells him to burn down the church. Uh, and it's just a sad scene. Yeah, it's it's devastating. And he makes the guy that was, you know, now he's he's a loyalist to the, the to to the to England. And he grew up at this church and he forces them to throw the, the first one, you know, throw the first torch in. And it's just such a heart wrenching scene, and it doesn't pull any punches either, because it shows the inside of the church, and it, you hear the screams, and you hear that you see Gabriel's now wife crying, and it's it's dark. Oh yeah, like it it it's a dark sequence, which of course leads to Gabriel seeing it and going, you know, they're not here, and when they go back there, and that leads him to his his to get his revenge, which is a great sequence, but it's also showing the him giving into his anger and giving into that side that his father has always feared that he had. And it's that, that, that hate filled vengeance seeking side. And 
unfortunately, even though Gabriel is able to to get off a shot and a very well done action sequence to uh, Tavington, he's not able to kill him, and of course gets stabbed, and you know it leads to a very heartbreaking scene of Gabriel saying he's sorry about Thomas and. He goes, you know, that wasn't your fault, son. That was mine. And then he he dies. And Mel Gibson's action, or acting, rather, in that sequence is so freaking phenomenal. Of him just, like, almost having like, that panic attack after he realizes his, his son has died and starts just sobbing. Yeah, the, the whole scene and, is... is um such a gut-wrenching like thing when you're watching it and you could tell he's just you know like crushed um at what just occurred and you know he's not really sure you know how to kind of proceed forward no and of course it leads to that awesome conversation that he has with chris cooper's character you know why do men think they can justify death with with the death of others and it's 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 a powerful moment you know, it's kind of a somber moment, but this is really when he starts to take up arms. And, and instead of fighting just to really protect his son, he starts to fight for the country. Oh, yeah. And this leads to the, the final battle, which is very well done, very epic, grand in scale, violent, intense, very rousing sequence. It's. You know, him running with the flag. Hold the line! It, oh, dude, it's so awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just a great uh, sequence of events. And, like, you know, the hold the line. And so, and, and even through that, you could see, like, you know, Tavington's over there, and instead of, like, running towards him, he grabs the flag and runs towards it. And, I mean, this is what makes the Patriot, you know, the patriotic film that it is, um, you know, besides obviously just the name, but like that type of sequence, just unabashed, like, you know, running with the flag and, you know, and it just, you know, the music and everything like that's occurring, uh, you know, just, you know, you, you know, it, it, it gives you that sense of pride and patriotism to see, see that occurring and you see the faces of all his men and how he kind of, you know, his example energizes them and they're yelling and, you know, charging forward. And so it's a great scene and, you know, ultimately leads to, the, you know, the final battle at Yorktown, which pretty much a fit, you know, is the unofficial last battle of the war. Um, you know, there were some small skirmishes and things like that that occurred and, you know, after that. Um, but, you know, at that point the war was over. The English weren't going to fight any longer. And, and so that pretty much ends, ends the war and, and it begins the birth of, uh, you know, America. Yeah. And, of course, it would be remiss if we didn't m- mention this is his his final battle with Tavington, which is very satisfying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great. You know, they, everything's kind of leading to that. The the turn of the battle starts, and then, um, you know, he stabs. Charge the, he stabs the horse with the flag. Yeah. <laughs> And it was not a real horse. I looked that up. Uh, you know, it was a mechanical horse, and Tavington gets flung off. And then, um, you know, they they go to town. And, you know, I remember watching it the first time when I was younger and, you know, sitting in the theater thinking, oh, my God, he's about to get killed. And then, you know, he... Yeah, that's, that's when Mom said, 
man, he's going to die like really loud in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember laughing because I'm like, there ain't no way. You know, little six-year-old me, I knew. I was like, nah, he ain't going to die. Yeah, and then, you know, he turns around, stabs him with the bayonet, and then, you know, my... Pulls the same move that he, uh, Tavington pulled. Yeah. And he's like, it appears you're not the better man. And then, of course, stabs him with the, uh, the bayonet, or he stabs him with two bayonets. Yeah. He gets him with that one, stabs he picks him up the, the other stomach, one. Like, impales him there, and then picks up, picks it up and stabs him in the, in the throat. Yeah, he's like, no. My sons were better men, and then stabs them in the throat. And it's like, in the term of like satisfying, like deaths of terrible characters, that's got to be in the top, top three for me. I'm a Game of Thrones fan, so seeing Joffrey die (spoilers) was fantastic because I hate that character. Seeing um, Ramsay Bolton get you know, punched almost to death by Jon Snow. And then, of course, uh, Sansa releasing his own dogs on him to eat him. That was fantastic. But this one is also just great. Because, you know, this this whole movie has been building to him getting his comeuppance because he's such a despicable character. He's ruthless. He kills children. He burns down churches filled with people that are defenseless. He goes after Benjamin Martin's family. You know, obviously he's going to murder his children again. Like he's a he's a child murderer. I say like he's, John Billings' wife and child are killed, and you know, like yeah, just just a horrible person. And you know, when he gets his comeuppance, you're just like, heck yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, it's you know, I, I said it up top, but you know, when he gets killed. America, like that's just like nothing would have made that scene more like perfect than if he would have just said Bill Gibson stab him and go America. <laughs> would have been funny. It would it definitely would have ruined the scene, but it would have been funny. <laughs> all right. So, out of all the scenes that we've gone over, what would you think is is the best scene? Uh probably it, it's tough for me to say i mean that fine the final battle like sequence i mean it's longer than a scene um but him running up the hill with the flag is probably my favorite scene but then um i don't know it's probably a three-way tie between that the papa you know is such a, a good one i mean and partially just because of our dad and then um and then also yeah. the running through the woods scene i mean those three are you know top and like if i'm um like if I'm about to head out of the house and for some reason the Patriots on the TV and I wasn't, I didn't cancel all my plans for the rest of the day because it happened to be on TV and I'm just going to watch it. Uh, then, you know, those are the types of scenes. Like if I'm being pulled out the door, I'm going to sit there and try to watch those to the end. So I would definitely say those three are, are the top, my top three, are, you know, kind of tied. What about you? Uh, for me, I got to go with uh the 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 ghost massacre is just the scene that I've I've rewatched the most. I just really love that sequence. It's it's visceral. It's violent. It's it's action packed. Um, and of course, the Papa sequence is because of our dad. It just I love that sequence. But 
I think I think I'm gonna have to go with the, with the ghost massacre. I I I love that sequence for for my favorite scene. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, no complaints right. about your list there. Yeah. All right. So best performance. He go he he going for best performance, man. I'd definitely say Colonel Tavington. I mean, turned in the best. I mean, like he chews up every scene that he's in. Like he's easily like someone like now whenever i see him i'm like that's that's the dude that played colonel tavington uh and you know he played Mel gibson you know i think those three definitely had the best performances um but you know i think isaac's is just kind of a level above and in, in, in just the writing of his character um you know he's just someone that you love to hate so i yeah i'd say that's the best performance he chews the scenery in the perfect way. Jason Isaacs does. He's a terrific actor who I think is very underrated. He doesn't, and he's obviously, he's been in a lot of prolific stuff. I mean, look at, uh, Harry Potter. He was in that. He played Lucius Malfoy. Uh, and I thought he played that to, to great extent. But again, like you said, like whenever I see him, I'm like, Oh yeah, there's that, that, that douchebag from the Patriot. Colonel Tavington. Yeah. So like he will forever be just ingrained in my consciousness for being, for playing this role. And I, I think he, you know, there's a lot of great, Mel Gibson's great in this movie. Heath Ledger is obviously great. This is really the movie that kind of put him on the, on a lot of people's radar, but I got to go with Jason Isaacs, man. I got to agree with you. Yeah. All right. So that leads us to the does or uh, least favorite scenes. Um, I kind of skipped over that one. I, I forgot to go over it. But yeah, least favorite scenes and moments. So we're kind of going re- in reverse here. Sorry about that, guys. But all right, I have three listed here, but I'm going to add one. And I, I don't like it because it's just so like – Oh God, maybe watch out for this kid. It's the scene where the battle is happening outside the uh the house of of the Martins. And Nathan is scaring his siblings and he goes, Yeah, they'll probably kill us men and do Lord knows what to you women. <laughs> like, dear God, <laughs> this kid's messed up. <laughs> I, I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah, kind of a weird take. By this dude, um, yeah, and yeah, it's a, l- a little odd. Uh, but then again, I mean, you know, I, I think he's just being like an immature kid. But yeah, it's just a little odd. Like, just you know, whoa, future sociopath. Yeah, <laughs> as as my high schoolers would say, that was kind of cringe. But you know, yeah, <laughs> kind of cringe. Um, another least favorite moment and scene I have is. Any scene involving Benjamin Martin and Aunt Charlotte. And the reason why is because I feel like this is forced a little bit and it's a little weird. You know, that's the sister of your 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 dead wife. It's, it's like a little odd. I was a little surprised when I saw you were to mention that. But when you watch it, I mean they don't seem to have a lot of chemistry, but I think it's just I don't know. I, I don't think they take the time to develop it, which I mean, there's so much else going on to the movie that, you know, is good. But I think um, 
they could have maybe gone into it a little bit more. But I mean, you could tell from the, the get go, she definitely, you know, has a thing for him and she's definitely trying to fill that mother void. And, it, you know, she doesn't have any kids of her own. Um, yeah. But, uh, the kids love her. Yeah. So that's all the kids but like she... her. And if you watch the, ex- I have the extended cut now that I bought the new one and they, they do a little bit more with them that makes you kind of see the, the background a little bit more. And, but you know, they definitely don't have a lot of chemistry and uh, that's one knock I would have. I do have yeah. the, the, this next one is kind of funny to me because we've already mentioned it. Least favorite. Moment. Yeah. Anytime John Billings laughs, <laughs> it's like ah oh, god it's awful yeah it's the worst not the best movie laugh i've ever heard but i mean no his goal was to be memorable the laugh is done that for him yeah it's memorable but in the worst way possible it's just a creepy laugh like if if i heard that in my sleep i probably pee my pants like it's just such a creepy Ugh, I don't like it. I don't like that. I don't like that laugh. I say both of these last two moments are scenes. I'm having a hard time. They're they're just cracking me up. <laughs> yeah, you... It's just <laughs> like that. And then like this is a nitpick, but when the Reverend gets shot during, you know, the scene where Gabriel goes off on his vengeance and he just bounces around while standing up it, for what seems like forever. Like it's in slow mo, and you can see his jaws like going up and down, and like the way it's shot, it's just like, oh, that's not flattering. Yeah. And it seems like he's doing it for forever, like he's just bouncing up and down on his toes. I feel like he would have fallen down already. You know what I mean? He just kind of like it's like over overacted, like one of those like deaths that's like uh, it's like the Austin Powers death, the Will Ferrell. Uh, character in Austin Powers where he just keeps getting like killed. Uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah. Like he, it, it is kind of odd. Like the way they shoot it, and he's in slow motion, and it's like he's falling, and so his cheeks are kind of moving, and then he hits the ground with his knees, and his cheeks are kind of moving, and his head's still kind of bobbling all around, and he kind of throws the gun up in the air, um, and you know, then Gabriel. You know, you know, shoots uh, Tavington, uh, but then you know doesn't get a death shot. Um, doesn't get the kill shot, but you know, luckily he threw his gun back, even though he didn't know Gabriel was probably behind him. It's just, <laughs> I, 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 it's a little nitpick, but I don't like that shot. I, I don't. I've never liked it. It's always been kind of silly to me. Um, do you have any more to add for least favorite moments and scenes? Or? And I mean, I want to be honest. I'm going to take all yours away from my head cannon and say that's a perfect movie. But <laughs> okay, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> uh, for me, I, out of these three scenes, I I hate John Billings laugh, man. I really, really do. I hate it. Yeah, and I have seen people like. One thing that I think can can really be a nitpick is like, um, and I read about this online. I can't remember how long ago, but like the depiction of like they were the slavery in the film. It's like oh, they were freedmen, and I didn't have time to really research it. But you know that was something. You know, whenever you're looking at that time period, it it gets you know that could definitely get something that 
Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, I feel like if you're from the South in that period, and I don't, I think that's pretty rare. And it's even rarer that they decided to just kind of conveniently make the main character not own slaves during that time period. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, that was that was something that was a little a little odd, but yeah. And I mean, so I guess that kind of goes into your the does this make sense category almost as well. Yeah, it's 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 more of a does this make because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I guess it's so that we don't look at Benjamin Martin in in that way of oh he didn't own slaves, so he must be like a really really good person. Yeah, so that, that's guess exactly it's, what they did. It's a plot device they used to make you be like oh he's not a bad person. Um, yeah. So you know, but out of the the scenes mentioned, I'm going to go with John Billings' laugh. Um, what are you going to go with, man? Uh, yeah, I'd probably say that, and I mean. For me, on on a scale of one to ten, being a nitpick is probably a point zero one. But uh, you know, what <laughs> <laughs> about the point oh one? Point yeah. <laughs> zero one nitpick. We've gone over. We've already gone over best performance. Uh, Jason Isaacs for me and and for Chris. Uh, the Does this make sense? Award. All right. How did Benjamin? catch up to Gabriel so quickly when Gabriel went off to fight after that whole, you know, you're not a child, you're my child line. Cause it was nighttime when he left. And then the next day, you know, Gabriel ends up, you know, just checking out that house, going in it and seeing, you know, what's up in that house, I guess. And why did that guy just leave so quickly? And then all of a sudden Benjamin kind of pulls a Batman and is like just standing behind him already there when Gabriel's getting ready to leave. Yeah. Like, how did he get catch up to him so quickly? You see, I guess it depends on how you view it. I viewed it as it was early morning already, and like they had kind of like he had just kind of sat up all night and talked with Charlotte about like everything that had occurred and kind of decompressing. And Gabriel gets up and is like, "All right, it's like four in the morning," and Gabriel's like, "All right, I'm leaving, going back to war," and then. You know, he leaves and he might have an hour to head start, but I think not long after Gabriel leaves, Martin's like, All right, I'm gonna go and he has to, you know, saddle up, get on his horse and, you know, with his gear and he takes off. So I always took it, you know, and then if Gabriel is kind of there at the beginning of the battle and watches pretty much the whole battle, uh, even like the men kind of lining up and marching forward, um like to me, like it's, it would have been fairly easy for him to kind of catch up, especially if he was only maybe, you know, within an hour behind. And then by the time Gabriel kind of walks through the house and meanders upstairs and uh, then starts staring out the window and watches the whole battle unfold uh, pretty terribly for the, the Patriot side. Um, but I don't, that's kind of how I took it. So to me, it kind of makes sense if you, if you view it in the lens that, he didn't like he left early morning and the Martin's able to basically just catch back up with him. Um, so that's yeah. how I viewed it. Okay. I, I can buy that. I can buy that. All right. Another one I have listed here. How come John Billings death isn't really brought up anymore after he kills himself after his family dies? Cause I mean, that's pretty dark and no one ever really talks about it after the fact. Yeah. And they seem like, they're kind of upset for a second and horrified. And then they kind of like just regroup and leave. 
uh, and then they transition yeah. to Gabriel scene, which, you know, I don't know, like, I would imagine they were all fairly close to the dude, uh, you know, fighting with him. But, yeah, that was kind of odd to me. But, you know, then again, like, I don't know, watching the movie, I've never really noticed it. But, um, you yeah. know, it is something, like, when you bring it up, it's kind of like, yeah, that is a little, you know, they, they don't yeah. even mention, like, oh, this is for John and his family. Yeah, like, I've never, it's not something that has ever crossed my mind until I recently rewatched it. Uh, the other night to to prep for this movie. And I was like, man, like, I I, I feel like that should be a thing that's mentioned because it's very dark. It's very, you know, graphic, you know, you just see a dead child on the screen and then you see him all like kill himself in in, in front of his comrades. And it's very dark and you, you don't see them talk about it anymore. I just thought it was, you know, I feel like you would you would hear them talk about that. Yeah. Um, at some point. Another one I have listed here is why does Aunt Charlotte and Benjamin Martin have to be a thing? Because <laughs> again, they have no chemistry, and they don't really set up that they have any sort of thing. I mean, they obviously they do the whole guy bumping into girl he has a crush on cliche and everything like that. But I mean, that's, you know, his, his dead wife's sister. I just feel like it's kind of odd. I don't know. I say like, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's not a, uh, maybe it's more of a big, it's not as big of a deal as I'm, I'm thinking of it in my head. I mean, it's it's a little odd like now, but then again, I mean, that, that happens quite kind of often, or I mean, maybe not often, but that, that happens. Like, it's not something when I watched it, I was like, Oh, this is completely weird. Uh, yeah, and it's not like it was you know his sister or anything like that. But um, yeah, no, that, that would be different. <laughs> not, like a gla- not a gladiator thing going on. Uh, but you know the um, yeah, I mean it was a little. I think it's more it's more odd because of the lack of uh, a little bit of the lack of chemistry those two have. But other than that, yeah. I think you know I think if it was a little more chemistry, then you wouldn't even notice it. Um, yeah. And I know now, we've already kind of talked about the historical accuracy of the film. You know, they, yeah. yeah they, they, how how historically accurate is this movie? Uh, you know, they definitely mentioned like real battles and stuff, and like they, you know, definitely depict them in terms of their turning points. But it, like all Hollywood films, like it's not, you know, Benjamin Martin didn't exist, Harry Brewer didn't exist, you know, Gabriel and all them didn't exist. You know, they they took facets of characters and molded them into a story, which. I mean, essentially, I mean, all the, you know, the films are based on a true story. That's kind of what they do. They, you know, they, they, they take a lot of liberties with it. So, you know, that, that's kind of what you, you've kind of just got to go into the Patriot accepting that that's the way it is. Now, out of all these things, what is the one that sticks out as being the biggest glaring issue to you? Hmm. I would say um, probably uh, maybe number two with John Billings' death. Like, and I mean, it's yeah. not even a glaring issue. It's more of just like, oh, it'd have been they could have done like a 
not a, a throwaway line, I guess. I think that's that sounds bad, but you know, like a line there at the end, like all oh, this is for a passing line. Yeah, like, this is for John and Gabriel. Like we you know we're doing yeah. it for the cause, and like j- they could have said it kind of like that, but you know, ultimately, yeah, I agree. I agree. Alrighty, last award MVP of the movie. I'm gonna go with John Williams, and here's why. That score, like I mentioned up top, is amazing. And I think if you were to have anyone else do this score, the movie wouldn't have that emotional weight to it. There's something about the way that John Williams does music that just adds such... It just makes the movies that aren't even good that he scored better. And this movie's good, and it would have been good without that score. But there's something about his score that elevates this movie and and makes it very patriotic like when i think of fourth of july it's the main theme of this movie that dun, 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 dun. like it just you know at some point in time there will be a president that comes out to that song oh yeah i mean um, just all the the music i mean that's a great choice um, yeah it's just an amazing score from the master himself, John Williams, the guy who brought us, you know, the score to E.T., Jaws, Indiana Jones, Star Wars. I mean, my God, all the Star Wars stuff. It's Superman. You know, he's he's just, I could go on and on and on. He's just so good. So good. Yeah, it was great score. I mean, I would still... Um... I mean, Jason Isaacs, I mean, but, you know, if I had to pick anyone, if I had to pick someone different, you know, I guess we already gave him the best performance, but, um, I mean, maybe Heath Ledger for me, you know, just, you know, the character, he does a really great job of, um, you know, some of his lines, and I think he's really the ethical kind of moral center of the film. So I I, I guess I'll give him the MVP. I don't want to do the same one as John Williams, even though I think he did a great job, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd give him Heath Ledger. You know, he's the does a great job um, as Gabriel. Yeah, man, I can't, I can't argue with you. That's that's a that's a good choice. That's a really good choice. He is the the moral compass of the movie. He is the the moral center of the movie, and he's the one who really has the the he's the grounded one in the film that tries to make everyone around him be better and yeah can't argue cannot argue all righty at the end of the day chris why would you recommend this movie well number one it's one of my favorite films but when i really sit down and think about it it's a great movie it has a lot of patriotic um undertones you know it's an overtly patriotic film um and even more than about that it's not you know fluffy in the terms of like it it's a movie about family and about sacrificing for the greater good and how you have to kind of put yourself out there. And not a lot of w- people are willing to do that. Um, I think something that's interesting when you watch the movie and you look from the lens that Martin isn't the Patriot. He isn't a Patriot. His sons were actually the Patriots. Um, he doesn't want to sacrifice. Uh, when he was young, he had no problem fighting in the French and Indian war. And he was a young man and he really had nothing to lose. Uh, But when you see him, um, you know, when he's older and you see kind of how he reacts in the legislature in South Carolina, it's really out of fear. 
and he's afraid to kind of engage into that conflict. Um, and more so than that, he's afraid to lose his kids uh, and fight in a war that could ruin, you know, his his life and potentially ruin his kids' lives. Uh, and he wants to kind of shield them from everything that he experienced. And you see that when he, you know, loses his house, his main goal is staying out of the war and protecting his kids. And um, even when he's trying to figure that out. And when he does finally join the war, it's pretty clear to me that it's more about uh, instinct to protect Gabriel. Um, and he does not want to lose another son. Um, and once Gabriel is dead, you can see he's like, I'm done. I'm over, you know, I've, I've, you know, fought and run my race. You can go seek your, your victory. And Harry Brewer tries to talk him, you know, into kind of coming back and talk to him about sacrifice, but he's pretty clearly unmoved. He's like, no, you know, I have no interest in, and going back. Um, and this is why, you know, earlier I brought up the scene about, you know, Gabriel finds the flag and is repairing that. He sees that early on and that's what he's repairing when he talks uh, about, you know, after the scene, you know, the, your sense of, of patriotism and freedom is as pale as the color of your skin. And he's talking about how the country is going to be, um, you know, a place where all men are created equal and he's repairing that flag. Um, and you see, uh, he's, he's going kind of through Gabriel's stuff after he's buried Gabriel and he pulls that flag out. Um, and when he does, like you could see kind of a change and he's holding it and, um, all the, you know, the, the flag was torn up and, you know, kind of thrown away on the ground when Gabriel found it and now it's been repaired. And so he, you know, attaches it to a flagpole and, you know, goes and, um, you know, trots off and, and rejoins the army. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the sacrifice that makes him, you know, go back into that final battle. Uh, and, you know, to me, just the tones of the movie and how, you know, at that moment, that's when he becomes the Patriot, you know, and he, and, you know, at the end when he talks about how his sons were better men, you know, that's, that's what he's referencing. So just, I don't know, just the message of the film and, um, I don't know, just the story to me is very compelling. And, you know, that's the reason I'd recommend the movie. How about you? Well, I can't, I can't, up to, I can't upstage that. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't say it better than that, man. That was, I was very, very well said. I'm not going to get a, a different thing from me because I think you put it perfectly. It's, it's a great movie. It's a movie, you know, I've, I've watched countless times. It's the perfect 4th of July movie. It's, super patriotic and you know you know trying to to always like gabriel progressing and and moving forward and and to trying to to always make america better and trying to make it a a land that has equal you know opportunity and, and 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 all men are created equal and it's 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 a it's a good movie and I, I love this movie this will be one that you know despite its three hour runtime i have seen or almost three hour runtime i've seen this movie so so many times like i said this is this lord of the rings and gladiator are always the movies i turn to whenever i'm sick and <clears throat> it's just it's it's a great movie and if you haven't seen it you know as you can tell by you know almost going to our podcast now, like why we, we love this movie. It's, it's, it's a tremendous movie. 
Anyway, guys, that is it for this week's show. Uh, thank you so much, Chris, for for coming on and talking about the Patriot. You know, I know this is one of your favorites. Uh, speaking of which, you'll be on in a few in, in a few weeks to discuss another one of your favorite movies and Captain America: The First Avenger, and that'll be my first uh, Marvel film that I tackle. And because uh, I've talked a lot about DC, haven't talked much about Marvel, and and I, I look forward to showing them just as much love. Um, I'm looking forward to that, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man, and I'm looking forward to uh, being on here in a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about another Roland Emmerich uh, film, Independence Day, and I'll be joined by my wonderful sister-in-law, Heather Tunstall. Uh, until then, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with uh, all the latest content, and uh, if, you, if, if you feel up to it, leave us a review. It, it helps us out a great deal. Um, you can also, uh, follow me on Instagram at Ben Davis movie podcast, where I'll post blurbs on, uh, newer released, uh, movies, uh, be on the lookout for the five bloods and King of Staten Island. Spoiler alert. I love both of those movies. Anyway, till next time, guys, stay classy.